Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, May the 19th, 2022. It is currently 4.09 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, in our intro, that professional intro that you hear at the beginning, one of our goals is to try to look at our world from a theological perspective. What I try to do is take a theological, or listen to this, a biblical, or listen to this, a Christian worldview and apply that to every aspect of life, right? So we try to present a theological perspective by trying to make theology central to whatever we talk about, whether it's something in the news, something going on within the culture, something going on within the church. And, and we do this, uh, we, we try to accomplish this by presenting a theological perspective, a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview by, well, looking at things from that worldview. And we also do this by trying to build that biblical and theological worldview by doing Bible study exercises, devotional messages, sermons, and all of the other things that we do here on the Theology Central podcast. But obviously to us here for this podcast, a biblical, a Christian, a theological worldview, we believe is absolutely essential and absolutely necessary for a Christian. Like if you are a Christian, you should have a biblical Christian and theological worldview. And I know a lot of people will say, well, amen, we should have a biblical, theological, or Christian worldview. Everyone will say amen to that. But before we can do anything, because I've got a very, 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 very discouraging news article in front of me. But before we get to that news article, it's one thing to say, yes, we should have a Christian worldview. Yes, we should have a theological worldview. Yes, we should have a biblical worldview. Everyone will, uh, Christians should say amen to that. They may even applaud if you're in a church that does applaud. Yay. Everyone's like, yes, thumbs up. That's wonderful. That's great. Yay. But then you stop and you go, but, but what is a Christian worldview? What is a biblical worldview? What is a theological worldview? I think we have to define what it is, correct? So let's consider the following article. A worldview, well, let's just start right there. A worldview refers to a comprehensive conception of the world from a specific standpoint. So before we even talk about a biblical worldview, before we even talk about a theological worldview, before we even talk about a Christian worldview, and those are all pretty much synonymous, but before we though talk about any of those, we have to consider what a worldview is. And a worldview refers to a comprehensive conception of the world from a specific standpoint. Everyone you know has a worldview. They may have never read a philosophy book. They may not be people who care about reading or studying or academics. They, they may not care about anything, but trust me, they have a worldview and they have a conception of the world from that specific standpoint. They may not have a name for their worldview. They may not be able to define it. They may not be able to name it, but you hear that worldview expressed all the time. Whenever you're talking about anything going on in the world, you hear their conception of the world. You hear what they think about a certain topic. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be something political from immigration, gun control, politics, election. It can be mass shootings. It can, it can be anything going on in the world, it, it, whether it doesn't matter what it is. You will hear, if you listen, there's their worldview, there's their conception, and they're coming at it from a particular standpoint. Now, that is true of anyone and everyone, but for a believer, for a Christian, that specific standpoint, that specific worldview should be, here's your worldview, it should be a Christian worldview a theological worldview, or I even, I think this is my, I, 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 those are important terms, but my, I think the term we should always really go with is a biblical worldview. 
Now, a lot of Christians will claim my worldview is biblical, but if you listen, you're like, I don't really know if your standpoint is biblical more, I think it's more political. I think it's more American. I think it's more where you were raised in Texas or the South or or the West or the East or the, wherever. You, I, it seems like there's a lot going on here because what happens is we may say we have a biblical worldview, but there's a lot of things coming in. And sometimes what we do is we bring in all of these other worldviews and we mix them all together in a big bowl, right? We, we like here, okay, I got a little, I got my biblical worldview. I got to, I've got to pour that in the bowl. I've got my political worldview. I got my American worldview. I got the way I was raised and we pour them all into a bowl and we stir it up. We stir it up, right? And then we pour it out into the, into the pan and we bake it. I'm like, here's my worldview. We may want to call it biblical, but in many cases, I'm like, there's a lot of stuff in there that's not so biblical. And it's sometimes the, the, we are the last people to see if our worldview is really Christian are really biblical. We, we may think that it is, but there's all these other influences. Let's read a little bit more. So a worldview refers to a comprehensive conception of the world from a specific standpoint. A Christian worldview then is a comprehensive conception of the world from a Christian standpoint. Now, I, I don't like that terminology, a Christian standpoint, and here's the reason why. Have you look at just, just the term Christian is applied to so much out there where there's not even agreement on who's a Christian, even within the so-called quote unquote Christian world. I like to look at it more, and, and I, w- I, w- I wish we could just say a Christian worldview, but that's why I use the term biblical worldview, a biblical worldview. I, I like that term better because now we're getting very specific. Christianity is applied, the term Christian is applied to everything from Mormonism to Jehovah's Witnesses to, to Catholics to Greek Orthodox to uh, to Charismatics to you name it, to, to uh, Independent Fundamental Baptists, uh, everyone, Pentecostals, everyone uh, takes that word Christian. So in some cases, it's kind of lost any true definition, right? I, I think we can be honest with that. But a biblical worldview that's that's easier. That's a little bit easier to kind of define. So when I look, when I hear your worldview, hear your conception of the world, it should be consistent with some thing that come that I should say this that is consistent with the entire Bible, not just one verse, but the entirety of Scripture, right? That it's consistent with that, and that it flows from it. So, a, so it, think of it this way, a biblical worldview then is a comprehensive conception of the world from a biblical standpoint. I'm changing the words of this article, right? An individual's worldview is his big picture, a harmony of all his beliefs about the world. It is his way of understanding reality. One's worldview is the basis for making daily decisions and is therefore extremely important. The, the, your worldview is your big picture, and it's how you perceive the world, and it's it's absolutely the basis for how you make daily decisions. You you make decisions. You think about things. You have opinions. You make judgments. You either praise or condemn things based off your big picture conception or perception, which is your worldview. For a Christian, it must be a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview. Now, I'm, I'm going to keep stressing that. Biblical, not Christian, biblical. Now, the reason I stress this is then that, because this becomes very important. Therefore, you, we can say dogmatically for one to have a biblical worldview, they would have to spend a lot of time reading, studying, memorizing the Bible in order for it to become the big picture becomes the filter, becomes the lens in which you see everything. You're not going to have much of a biblical worldview unless you're spending a lot of time filling your mind with the Word of God. All right, I think that's important. Let's see what else they say here. Now, this is important. An apple, they're going to use kind of an illustration here. An apple sitting on a table is seen by several people. A botanist looking at the apple classifies it. An artist 
sees a still life and draws it. A grocer, a grocer, someone who owns a grocery grocery store, if I can say the word correctly, sees an asset and inventories it. A child sees lunch and eats it. How we look at any situation is influenced by how we look at the world at large. Every worldview, Christian and non-Christian, deals with at least three questions. Number one, where did we come from? All right, or we can say this way. We can say it this way. Where did we come from? I think we should say four questions. I'm going, I'm going to change this. I think there should be four questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What is wrong with the world? And how can we fix it? I think that's a fair assessment. A prevalent worldview today is naturalism which answers these three questions like this. We are the product of random acts of nature with no real purpose. We do not respect nature as we should. We can save the world through ecology and and conservation, if I can speak correctly. All right, a naturalistic worldview generates many related philosophies such as moral relativism, uh, pragmatism, utopianism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So the p- point is, is if you have a naturalistic worldview, you're going to answer those questions different than you have if you have a theistic worldview. Right there, we could just compare naturalism with theism. We could just compare the two there. Now, obviously, theism would still be very different than a biblical worldview. Right. So a biblical worldview. Where did we come from? We were created by God in his image, right? Why are we here? To glorify him, right? What is wrong with the world? Sin. How can we fix it? It can only be fixed, not through politics, not through any, through the proclamation of the gospel. That would be a biblical worldview, all right? Um. And I'll just stop right there. There's more we could get into. The goal here is not to get into a full-blown discussion of a a worldview or what a worldview is or isn't. It's just to give you a basic understanding of this so that we can get to the disturbing news article that I have here in front of me. So are you ready? Here we go. Here is the news article. It was published on May the 16th, 2022. I know it's a few days old, but we do a lot of broadcasts and I can't get to everything, all right? Here we go. Are you ready for this? All right, biblical worldview. Again, I like that better than Christian worldview, all right? Because because we at least, I know exactly what I'm looking at right here, the word of God. I know exactly what I'm looking at, okay? Now, I know that there's been 2,000 years of disagreement on how to interpret every verse. Yeah, we could talk about all of the problems with that, but it's still, at least I'm like, it's right here. Within these 66 books, my worldview should flow from this. At least it gives me something outside of myself, something transcendent, something that we believe is infallible, and that it, it, that, well, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will abide forever. It, it, it gives us something specific to focus on in defining if, if it's a bibl- biblical worldview or not. So that's why I go with that more than the term Christian worldview. All right, here we go. Here's the news story. A study has found, this is crazy, 37% of pastors You heard that right. 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. Did you hear that? 37% have a biblical worldview? You would think it would be 100%, 95%. 90 percent, 80%, 85%, 70%, 70%, anything, 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. And then it says this in the headline, spiritual awakening needed in our pulpits. <laughs> okay, if there's only, if only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview, I, I, I don't, is that a spiritual awakening or... T- do we just need to start completely over? I mean, like that, that is a massive problem, a massive, massive, massive problem 
Um, but let, let's see what the story says. This is posted at the Christian Post. And again, on May the 16th, 2022, and I don't have the time that this was posted. All right, here we go. All right. And I'm getting phone calls here. All right, here we go. Here's this, here is the story. I apologize for that. A new study from the Culture Research Center at Arizona Christian University has found that just 37% of Christian pastors in the United States have a biblical worldview, demonstrating that a spiritual awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits as in the pews. Now, okay, they're, they're like, hey, we need a spiritual awakening, and we've got a problem in the pew, and we've got a problem in the pulpit. Well, if you've only got 37% of pastors with a spirit, a, a, bibl- a biblical worldview, I, well, there, <laughs> I don't, I mean, what, I don't even know where do you begin to unpack a problem like this. Now, some will say, well, I don't trust the statistics. I understand that. But any, any, when, whenever we get these statistics, we at least have to consider the pro- probability, the possibility that this is at least an indicator of a problem. Maybe the problem is not as severe as this study has found, but it may be an indicator that something is going really, 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 really wrong. So the question here is not what's going on in the pew, what's going on behind pulpits? What's going on within pulpits across the United States of America? Now, I listen to a lot of preaching, a lot. My podcast apps are, I subscribe to so many churches Sermon after sermon, I listen and listen and listen and listen and listen, and I disagree with a lot. I could argue that there's, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want, I cannot make any kind of statistical argument here, but I will say I listen to a lot of preaching because I don't just try to, look, I don't try to just listen to what I agree with because then I will always think I'm right. So I like to be challenged. But I will be honest, there's a lot of times that went by the time I'm done, I'm like, whoa, okay, was that a biblical worldview in any way, shape, or form? So I, I think that I can at least say that I know it's not a scientific study or it doesn't mean anything, but from my own personal experience, which again, does not prove anything or does not define reality, I, I, I definitely can say that there's something going wrong here. Uh, let's continue. Uh, the uh, nationwide study of about, uh, so uh, there was a nationwide study found that just slightly more than a third, 37% of U.S. pastors hold a biblical worldview. The majority possesses a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. 62% possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. Now, I will say that I have definitely watched the church and, and I will really go back to 2015. I know I've talked about, you know, different trends, where the church is. I know we've talked about it in hundreds of episodes. Um, but I always kind of go back to 2015, where I think a major shift started happening within the evangelical world. And the church started becoming more and more political. And I refer to it as the great political hijacking of American Christianity. And when p- politics is merging with religion, you are creating a mutated hybrid that becomes nothing. It becomes less than Christianity. It becomes less than Christianity. And we've had this merging over and over. And you can see, you can see it happened up from the left. It's happened from the right. It's coming from all directions, but it's created this syncretism, this, these merging of ideas together that creates this mutated monster that's no longer biblical Christianity. I've, I've been warning about this. It seems like a good part of my Christian life that we're merging ideas and and we're and we're trying to make it sound Christian when it's not biblical. It's not Christian. It's it's well, it may be conservatism. Being conservative does not mean being biblical. Being 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 a Republican doesn't mean being biblical. We have to understand that. All right. They go on to say this: the study released. Thursday showed that 41% of senior pastors, as compared to 28% of associate pastors, have a biblical worldview. Further, only 13% of teaching pastors have a biblical worldview, and 12% of children and youth pastors 
have a biblical worldview. The lowest level of biblical worldview was among executive pastors, with only 4% of them holding consistently biblical beliefs and behaviors. Something has gone horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. I mean, I, I don't even know how, what, what do we do with that? The church is in serious trouble. I think we can all, I think we, I think everyone would have to agree with this. I mean, that's just only 4% of executive pastors, only 13% of teaching pastors, only 12% of children and youth pastors have a biblical worldview. I mean, that is crazy. The research included 54 worldview-related questions, and it found that only 47% of the pastors have a biblical worldview regarding family and the value of life, 44% concerning issues related to God, creation, and history, 43% in relation to personal faith practices, 43% when it comes to matters of sin, salvation, and one's relationship with God, 40% pertaining to human character and human nature, and 40% when it comes to measures of lifestyle, personal behavior, and relationships. The study, however, noted that not having a biblical worldview doesn't mean adherence to a competing worldview such as secular humanism or Marxism. Now, I think that's very important because you, if you listen to some people, the greatest threat to Christianity is Marxism. The greatest threat to Christianity is secular humanism. The greatest threat to Christianity is progressivism. And I have been saying, no, 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 no. The issue, I don't think the greatest threat to Christianity is coming from the left. I think the greatest threat to Christianity is coming to from the right. And I know I'm going to have people just immediately lose their minds. Listen to what, what I mean by this. Those who embrace a more, quote-unquote, leftist, progressive ideology and bring it into the church, those churches that would embrace that have typically already 100% abandoned anything that would look like biblical theology. Most of them have already denied the inerrancy of Scripture, the inspiration of the Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture. They've, and many of them have already thrown out substitutionary uh, sacrifice of Christ. They, they, they've, they've just thrown out the, so many things. So for them, the, those churches were corrupt before they brought in the other ideology because they were buying into the higher criticism coming from Europe. We can go all the way back to the 1900s and we can see all of these things happening. All right, we, we've done enough study in church history. You, you probably have a pretty good idea what, what I'm referring to there. But so I've always said they're not the threat because uh, most people, when you look at those churches, I don't even know if you would even recognize it even being considered Christianity because they deny, in many cases, even the basic tenets of Christianity. So their their leftist ideology is irrelevant. Their issue is they completely have destroyed Christianity with their liberal theology, right? So that I don't see that being a threat to Christianity. But if you look over to the conservative churches, the conservative churches, which, well, they believe in the inerrancy in Scripture. They believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. They believe in substitutionary atonement. They believe in all of those things that would define biblical Christianity. Those conservative churches, to me, are the ones in danger because they start bringing in, well, a... a a secular conservative ideology, a political ideology coming from the right, trying to merge it with their Christianity, which then obliterates a truly biblical Christian worldview. And then it's partly Christian and it's partly a secular conservative perspective coming from the right. But but those churches sound good until you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if that's truly a biblical worldview. So I think it's interesting that what they didn't find it's like, oh, well, these people have completely replaced their worldview with secular humanism or Marxism. So I, I think this supports what I predicted was going to happen. So I think that's interesting. Now, that, that could change. But again, I just think the church, church is far on the, on the left. They've already abandoned Christianity. Their, their leftist stuff is irrelevant. They already left Christianity. They don't have a Christianity to even hold on to. So obviously they need the leftist ideology. They got nothing else, right? Now, in fact, less than 1% of pastors embody a worldview other than biblical theism. 
the biblical worldview. Researchers said, instead, the prevailing worldview is best described as syncretism, the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of holistic worldviews into a unique but inconsistent combination that represents their personal preferences. Oh, please hear that. So, hey, we believe, as as they said, they would be identified as holding um, a biblical theism. They ho- I hold to a biblical theism. But then what they did with their biblical theism, they brought in other stuff that represents their personal preferences. Hey, I hold to the Bible, but I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. Or, or I, this is my, I think this is the best way to think about it. All right. And then all of a sudden we start changing to fit our preference, to to fit what we think is the best course of action in a specific situation based in many cases, not off the Bible, but again, off our politics or where our other ideologies are being derived from. All right. Um, Let's see here what they say here. So more than six out of 10 pastors, 62% have a predominantly syncretistic worldview. So 62% have a syncretism or a syncretistic worldview. That's what 62% of pastors have. It's Yes, there's a little bit of biblical theism there. You can see it. So it sounds good. Like there'll be times you'll listen. You're like, that sounds good. And But you have to wait for it and wait for it and go. It's almost like a... Sometimes you'll you'll take a bite of something and at first it tastes really good and you're like, oh, that's great. And then you give it a few minutes, and you're like, oh, whoa, what is that? Oh, it gets bitter. There's some horrible aftertaste. And then you're like, this is garbage. I think a lot of times you listen, it sounds so good. You're like, oh, that sounds so biblical. That's and then you're like, whoa, wait, what is that? And you're like, wait, wait, no, 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 no. What is this? They've added something to it. From their syncretistic worldview, their syncretism, they've added to their own personal preference. Now, the thing is, here's what you have to be aware of. This is what makes it so deceptive. If their personal preference happens to be your personal preference, you'll go along with it and you'll think it's biblical. You have to be able to draw a distinction between your personal preference and what the Bible says. I have thousands of personal preferences. And you know what I typically find over and over and over again? The Bible goes against my personal preferences. But it's easy to convince ourselves that our personal preferences are actually biblical. I think the greatest challenge is for you to be able to draw the distinction between the Bible and your personal preference. But we have a tendency to do is we take our personal preference, we shove it into the Bible, and we're like, look at everyone. Look, 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 look. It's right here in Scripture. Look here, look here, look at the verse. And you're like, wait, wait, that, you think that verse supports your your preference? And then you'll look at the verse, and you're like, I I think that actually condemns your preference, but it doesn't matter. People will make it say what they want it to say. That's that's one of the, I think, the, 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 the major challenges of spiritual maturity is for you to go, hmm, okay, okay. The scripture, ah, it's, it's, it's going against what I think. It's going against what I want. It's going against how I think. It's going against what I think we should do. It's going against my feelings. It's going against my preferences. It's going against my, my thinking. Well, that, that's what we should encounter because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And I know that has a historical context in, in Isaiah specifically for Israel. I understand there's a context there, but the application would still stand that, that, and, that whether it was Israel, whether it's us, constantly God's ways and God's thoughts go against our ways and our thoughts. That's what we should encounter. But, but we sometimes can't draw the distinction between my own personal preference and scripture, and we take preference, and, and literally we we shove it right into the Bible, and then we're like, voila, magic! There it is. And, and you saw people do that, especially during the pandemic. People all of a sudden, if a scripture seemed to go against what they wanted, magically the scripture didn't condemn what they wanted, and they did what they wanted because, well, scripture didn't apply. All of a sudden, you, we can't just magically get the scriptures to justify whatever we want. This is a great danger. 
George, George Barna, the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at the Arizona Christian University, said that a personal worldview primarily develops before the age of 13 and then goes through a period of refinement during their teens and 20s. From a worldview perspective, the ch- uh, a church, let me read this again, from a worldview perspective, a church's most important ministers are the children's pastor and the youth pastor, he said, discovering that seven out of eight ever Eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview helps to explain why so few people in the nation's youngest generation are developing a, uh, uh, the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and mind for biblical principles and ways of life. Or let me read this again. Discovering that seven out of eight, out of every eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview helps to explain why so few people and the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and mind for biblical principles and ways of life, and why our society seems to have run wild over the last decade in particular. In conclusion, Barnes said, God is in the transformation business. Pastors who are willing to allow him to transform their thinking and behavior can emerge from that process as a powerful example of what can happen with one's heart, mind, and soul are surrendered to God. It certainly seems that uh, that if America is going to experience a spiritual revival, that awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits and in the pews. Now, there's a lot more they have here, but I'm going to stop there. Now, I'm going to check something really quick because I was getting lots of notifications while I was on the air. So here, let me read here. Okay, someone just said, I'm not surprised that a small amount of pastors have a biblical worldview. This is a result of a lack of teaching sound theology to the church. Christians are so wrapped up in the goosebumps of Christianity, but know very little as to why they believe. And that is a very awesome comment, and I greatly appreciate that person tuning in because I don't think they've ever heard us before. So thank you so very much for listening. Um, I think... I'm going to I'm going to put forth a different thesis. I do agree that there's a massive lack of teaching sound theology in the church. I completely absolutely agree. I've dedicated my entire life to trying to teach, you know, in-depth biblical teaching. We teach doctrine, we teach theology, we teach church history. Our church typically gets accused of being a mini seminary. We get accused of that all the time. So I definitely understand the need for that. So in no way, shape, or form am I saying that that is not true. But I think something, because syncretism is the problem according to this study. And if this study is accurate, here's what I think happened. And I could be wrong. Here, I've put forth this thesis now for years, and it, it, it usually sparks much disagreement with me. But okay, here's what I think happened. Christians looked around and they saw a culture moving fast away from biblical principles, from the influence of scripture, and the culture in in many cases were going in a direction that greatly bothered Christians, greatly bothered them. They were like, man, this is horrible. This is wrong. This is so ungodly. I can't stand this culture. This is is bothering me so much. We've got to do something. 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 And I believe that when we look at the culture and it's all messed up, I believe, and and I know many Christians strongly disagree with me here, but I believe the biblical answer to a culture that is sliding down the slippery slope into the abyss, that the answer is what it's always been. That is Christians, prayer, fasting, and the Great Commission. We pray for the culture. We fast for the culture. And we and, and we, we, we could say prayer, fasting, love, we're to love even our enemies, to love them. But the most important thing is the Great Commission, and the Great Commission has three parts. Everyone knows the three parts. Go and teach. That's evangelism. Go and teach. We, we do so lovingly, with compassion, passionately caring about the individuals which we are trying to present the gospel to. Baptizing, bringing them into the church. And then the third part is discipleship, teaching them to obey. 
And I think many Christians were like, okay, yeah, that great commission stuff, prayer, fasting. Yeah, though that, that has slow results. Maybe, maybe we, you know, we don't get the results that we want. And, and the culture just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And it's almost like there was this, someone's got a memo went out, like, you know, everybody, everybody got a knock on the door. Every, every church got a knock on the door or every church member. And you're like, uh, yes, we have a special delivery. And you're like, here's the special delivery. What does it say? Action alert. We must do something now to win the culture, to save the culture. What must we do? We've got to turn to politics. We've got to turn to debating and arguing and fighting and protesting and boycotting. We've got to save the culture. And it almost is like, you know what? Forget the evangelism. Forget the baptism. We're going to go tell the world that they must obey the teachings of God. We're going, and we're going to do everything we can to change this culture through politics, through law, through passing bills. And it's almost like the church said, yes, that theology, all of that's good, but we've got to fight the culture war. I mean, there's a war on Christmas for crying out loud. They won't say Merry Christmas when I go to Target. It's the end of the world. We got a boycott. Oh my goodness. Disney, Disney doesn't have a biblical worldview. What are we going to do? We got to fight. Oh no, Netflix has a movie that's not very Christian. We've, and it's like, we started running around trying to fight culture wars. Well, we're trying to fix the culture by fighting a war almost through, from a, almost from a secular ideological perspective, like they're fighting, the, 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 the world is fighting the culture wars from their, their ideological perspective. And then Christians try to fight from their ideological perspective. And the things that gets lost in all of this is how about Christianity? So syncretism comes along because we start embracing all of these ideas to fight a culture war that I think in many cases are more, are more secular than they are spiritual. So instead of the culture is getting worse, let's focus on our spiritual condition, our spiritual life. Let's dig into the scriptures more. Let's pray more. Let's fast more. Let's love more. Let's present the gospel more. Let's teach more. It was almost like, no, 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 no. Those, it's almost like we, dare I say, a pragmatic pragmatism almost coming. We've got to have a more pragmatic approach to this. Don't we care about the culture? Well, if you care about the culture, it's not trying to get them to live righteously. It's them to be receive the imputed righteousness of Christ by faith and then be taught to obey. It's a gospel approach, not a, think of it, dare I say this, because I think this is a very important theological distinction. It's a gospel approach, not a law approach. Law just tells everyone, stop doing it. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But law only condemns. Law actually entices rebellion and brings it forth. It demonstrates it. It shows it. When the, when the depraved heart is confronted with the law, it rises up. So you're not going to make the culture better by giving them law now you've got to give them the law to show them their sins. Obviously, I understand that. But they need the gospel. And we want to fix the culture almost by passing laws. But the Christian biblical worldview is they need the gospel more than anything. And I think that's where we started like abandoning. Now, I, now before that, the problem with the church was it was worried about growth and it was using pragmatism to try to attract the lost culture. Hey, we're going to try to be like the culture to win the culture and we're going to turn the church into a three-ring circus to try to win everyone over. So the church had already abandoned theology in many cases for pragmatism to try to build their many kingdoms, their, their gigantic megachurches. Not every megachurch is like that, but you get the idea that pragmatism was a dominant philosophy. Well, if pragmatism was already the dominant philosophy, and then the church looked around and was like, the culture is sliding into the into, into the pit of hell. This the culture is horrible. This is, I don't know what to do. We gotta fight this. We gotta fight this. We gotta fight this. And then it's like, well, we're already using pragmatism. Let's just use some more pragmatism. Let's, 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 let's adopt whatever entity out there to fight it. And, and then it became more a political-minded institution than a spiritually-minded institution. In other words, as the church got worse, I'm going to point this out. 
I, th I think now I know not everyone agrees and that's okay. I just want to give my perspective here. Okay. Now I, I interpret this passage different than many, but I believe in second Timothy chapter three, what is often described here, many people say is referring to the culture and I disagree. I believe it's referring to the church and I will prove my point here. Second Timothy chapter three. All right. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. A lot of people, when they preach this, they'll say, look at the world, look at this, see, it's a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. I, just stay with me. I think this is referencing the church, and here's the reason why, all right? Okay, uh, traitor, they, they keep going. Traitors, so they list all of these things. They're going to be lovers of their own selves. They're going to be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, comma, so the thought continues. Well, I know there's no punctuation in the original, but according to these, the, the translators almost all believe that the thought continues. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, to apply that to the culture makes no sense. When has the lost culture ever loved God more than pleasure? The lost culture has always loved pleasure more than God. This is what he's describing here. This is going to come into the church. The church is going to become more and more apostate. It's going to be in the culture, and then soon it will be in the church. And that's always been the problem, always been the problem. Go all the way back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church located in a city in which the city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city, right? That's the summary of 1 Corinthians. And this happens, Israel constantly being more influenced by the pagan nations than they were influencing the pagan nations. Here in 1 Timothy 3, it's going to come a breakdown where the church is being absolutely overrun and infiltrated by the world inside the church. The church is going to become more and more apostate and more and more worldly. Well, how do we fight worldliness, whether in the church or outside of the church? What do we do? Well, if you keep reading in chapter 3, he says this, right? Okay. Um, he's, he talks about that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's in, uh, that's in if I said 1 Timothy, I apologize. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3. I apologize. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, evil men are going to get worse and worse. And this is what he tells them to do, verse 14. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make these wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What do you do when you see you getting worse and worse, whether in the church or outside the church? You grab on to the word of God, and you hold on to it even more. You study it more. You read it more. You, you memorize it more. You share it more. You talk about it. You meditate. You feed on it more. Okay, and then, why? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Guess what? When everything is getting worse and worse and worse, you need the word of God because that's going to give you doctrine. That's going to give you reproof, correction, instruction. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what we need to do. And then look at this, chapter 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge thee therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Even when they don't want, even when nobody wants to hear sound doctrine, whether in the church, outside the church, even when nobody wants to hear the word of God, we don't abandon the word of God to look for other solutions. Because when we do that, we abandon a biblical worldview. We turn to syncretism and we have a, secret, a syncretistic worldview where we bring in these other ideas, these other philosophies, and we completely corrupt Biblical Christianity and biblical Christianity gets slowly but surely written out of existence. And what's there is no longer biblical Christianity. It's a mutant, it's a, it's a corrupt, mutated, hybrid disaster of, of what we should be. And that is exactly what we must avoid happening. I think the church looked at the world and said, we're going to fight back. 
we're going to, and we're going to do so, we're going to use a more pragmatic approach because we're tired of just praying and, and, and reading and, and studying and, 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 and preaching because some, you, that doesn't, that doesn't get the flashy results sometimes, but the church is only going to get worse and worse and worse. So if we're at 37% now, my, my eschatology, and I know not everyone would agree with this, but, and I don't even like seeing my eschatology, I believe that things are going to get worse, not get better. I know others will disagree with that, and I understand that. That's okay. We've been talking about eschatology in our study of Matthew 24 now for a long time, and I've made everyone mad in that particular study. But you get the idea. You get the idea, all right? Um, so, uh, so, so I, hopefully the person, someone just said that, they're, uh, that they missed the first 20 minutes, but they're listening good. The first 20 minutes, we simply defined what a worldview was is what we did. Um, so hopefully that was beneficial. All right. I think I'm going to stop there for now. Uh, but I, yeah, that's my, that's my theory, my, my thesis on what happened. That's my thesis. Not everyone agrees with that, but my, that, I just think the church, because syncretism seems to be the, it's just to me, that's, that's the fascinating, the, the 37% is not the fascinating part of that study. It's what they turned to. It, they didn't go to Marxism, right? They didn't go to woke progressivism. They went to syncretism where they just brought in things that went along with their personal preference. And many conservative pastors and who hold to a biblical theism looked around and said, the culture is, we've got to fight it. And they turned to pragmatism and they brought in, they brought in ideas that they thought would work, which would turn to syncretism. And, and I think that, that the church has allowed to be hijacked politically. I, I, I really believe that's, that's the problem. And that's why that's that's the main reason that the whole the thing that we do of one of the podcast series that we do is Bible study exercise. That's why I created that whole series. We've done well, almost like that. We're getting close to three hundred episodes now. The reason we've done that is because I was like, okay, we've got to get people actually studying the Bible. I'm not just listening to people study the Bible. We got to move them from a passive listener to an active participant. So we. I hand out homework, people turn it in, we have a curriculum, we, and, and we're trying to get people, to, no, study the Bible, study the Bible, don't just listen to people, study the Bible for yourself, because we got to get more people studying and studying and studying and studying and studying, because we've got to get more people focused on the Word of God, not on how to fix the culture. The culture can only be fixed through the Word of God, so we've got to be so filled with the Word of God that we can share that with other people, and then ultimately, obviously, I believe we have to trust God for the eternal God is, you know, I believe in a monergistic salvation. We could have a whole discussion there, but that's a, that's a different <laughs> podcast episode. But I just thought that was interesting. I, I, I saw that. I, I don't know what day I saw it. I saved it immediately in my notes. And today was like catch up day. All right. I got to go. I got to go through all my notes. Okay. Well, we didn't do a broadcast on that. We didn't do a broadcast on that. We've got to get to that 37% number. We got to, because that is somewhat disturbing. And some of those numbers were as low as 4% of executive pastors. That is like, at that point, you're, you're basically like, it, it, yeah, it, it's not good. It's not good. But no matter what's happening, the same strategy, we've got to, it's the word of God. 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 All right. Um, make sure there's, I've got... Okay, good. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Someone says that they define their eschatology as depressed eschatology. Things will get much worse rather than better for our world. I, I truly agree. I agree. And I believe, and I believe my Second Timothy 3, I believe that's describing the church. I believe Second Timothy 3 is describing the church, and the church is going to get worse and worse and worse as well. I believe the church will become more and more apostate. And, but what do we do? We, we stand with the word of God. We stand with the word of God. Even when it's out of season, even when they don't want to hear it, even when the church no longer wants to hear the word of God, we stand there. We stand there. We stand there. And when the church wants to run off, in a sense, chasing windmills to fight another culture war, we're like, no, 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 the word of God, right here, right here. They don't need, a, 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 to, we don't need to win a culture war. We need to present the gospel. The gospel is the only hope. It's, it's the only hope. It's the only hope. It's the only hope. I cannot stress that enough, but 
There we go. I'll be back with uh, some more live broadcast here shortly. Uh, we'll take a break and uh, well, we'll see what else is on our agenda on this Thursday, May the 19th, 2022, broadcasting uh, live from Abilene, Texas, where it's currently 106 degrees outside. Yes, if you if you would like to pray for our area because we have fires all over the place. It's been a really bad couple of days. Lots of houses have been burned down. We had uh, basically ash from the fires falling on our house yesterday. Uh, pray for rain. We need rain in West Texas. We need rain. We need rain desperately. That's what we need. So if you would like to pray for us, we would greatly appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening. You can always contact me. News if news if at yahoo.com that's news if at yahoo.com and for all the new people listening this afternoon because it looks like based on my numbers that a lot of new people are listening today um remember the easiest way to keep up with all of our content i mean we're on every podcasting app on the planet pandora amazon music audible spotify deezer pocket cast Breaker, you, you you just name the podcast app, Apple, Google, we're on all the podcast apps, yes. Spreaker is our podcast hosting site, but the easiest way to get all of our content broken down into individual series and to be able to keep up with all of our live broadcast, which we do a lot, we do about 900 episodes a year, so we're on the air all the time, is the Church One app, Church O-N-E, that's Church O-N-E, it's free, Apple or Android, download the app, simply type in Theology Central. Once you download the app, choose us as your preferred broadcaster. That transforms the Church One app into the Theology Central app. And then you make sure all the notifications are on. You can be notified when we send out a push notification. You can be notified when we upload new content, which happens all the time. And you'll be notified every single time we go live, which is all the time. That gets you all the podcast episodes. That gets you all the sermons from Victory Baptist Church located here in West Texas. Um, that's Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. So that's, I mean, basically your notifications will be going off a lot. <laughs> but, and then all, all the content's broken down into the appropriate series. So that makes it easy to find. So that's what we've been working on, um, trying to get that all set up because we we're on so many different platforms. People are always content. I can't find this. I can't find that. I can't find this. Okay. Well, we've got to have one place where everything can be easily, or if you've looked at a normal podcast app, you know, you're just like, well, okay, there's the, there's the most recent episode. And then you scroll. It's, it's, it's all just broken up. It's, it's just in a kind of a chronological order on church one. You can just go to the individual series and then there you have them all there. So it just makes it just, it's, it's a better, way to organize our uh, archives because there's so much content. Uh, so we needed something and that just works out great for us. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the new people who were listening and uh, we'll be back. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll give it a few minutes and then we'll be back. I got to figure out what we do next. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. And uh, well, just pray for the church uh, because the church is desperately in need of prayer all churches all across the United States of America. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.